25 years on the PGA Tour and a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Jay Delsing brings you his perspective on one of the world's greatest games as a professional golfer and network broadcaster. It's the game that connects the pros and the average Joes. Brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Golf with Jay Delsing is now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis. Welcome to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay Delsing. I'm here with my buddy, John Perlis. Perley, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, Jay. Ready to get rolling here. Uh, we've got several shows under our belt, and I'm looking forward to this one. Well, I think we should probably clarify to the to our listeners, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, but sometimes we make up words on this show. Sometimes. Most of the time. Sometimes... We're not quite as accurate as we should be on someone's age or how many wins they've had. <laughs> or when it happened. Right. And so hopefully, you know, like you said, you've had a couple of shows under your belt. Hopefully you guys are getting a little bit used to that. You give us a little <laughs> grace here because we need it. We mean well. We mean to get it right. And it's not because we don't do our um, – we just got to tell them the story. We're, we're walking in and Pearly says to me, oh, man. I forgot my glasses. <laughs> so we're, we're sitting here and we're getting ready to do the show and – he says, what does this say? I cannot read my own writing. And you know what? That's just how we roll. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately it is. But that's that's part of what we're wanting, right? We just want to kind of a conversation back and forth, yeah. challenge each other a little bit, challenge the listeners uh, as much as possible. And uh, I think get some important things, especially with your, your tips, your, your perspective of the game, uh, but also have a bunch of fun with it. Well, we formatted the show like a round of golf. So this opening segment is called On the Range. It's brought to you by 20 Minutes to Fitness. 20 minutes once a week is all you need. 20 Minutes to Fitness, it works for me. I got together with, um, well, let's just do a quick overview of the show, and then we're going to go to Justin Hoagland at Golf Tech. But, um, man, we got a really cool interview with Taylor Twoman. Um, uh, St. Louis Hall of Famer. We'll set up some of that stuff up, but just a MLS stud soccer player. It's really appropriate now. I thought with with all the cool stuff that the Enterprise family's doing to bring soccer back to St. Louis, and um, uh, very excited about that. But um, so we're going to talk about that. And and um, whenever I describe it, Taylor Twelman to anybody, because a lot of people I know aren't big soccer fans. Grandkids play soccer. I know soccer's super important, but I always mention, yeah, he was on a Wheaties box and. Everybody's eyes always perk up. Oh, that must mean, mean that he was a really big time and really, really important. And so all the other things I kind of know about him that I could throw out there fly over so many and, and flew over my head for forever. But as soon as you throw the weedy box thing out there, it says, eh, he did something to get there. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Well, um, let's go down to Justin Hoagland. Um, Justin and I got together and put together a, a little series that we're going to continue on for the next several shows about the basics. So have a listen to what Justin had to say. You know, we got to talking, and um, w- one of the questions I hear all the time, and, and you concurred, is how do we become more consistent as an amateur player? How do we get more consistency in our game? And I thought it'd be neat if we did a little series for the next little while on, you know, just how to get consistent. What would you say would be the very first thing you'd, you'd try to help somebody that was trying to get more consistency in their golf game? Well, it starts from the pre-swing uh, aspects of it first, and uh, to do that, it takes good oversight with a with a PGA professional, preferably. But uh, to get more consistent in their game, uh, it takes a good foundation to go on. And 
I would say, you know, Jay, in 95% of the evaluations we give, people people want consistency. In fact, that word is said all the time uh, among the first question or two that we ask, hey, what's really frustrating your game? Well, I, I'm really not consistent. I want to be consistent. And so I would say that, that when people say that, we respond by by saying, hey, look, Here's just a, a good acronym that you can remember, and, and if we could just build on this acronym uh, of uh, of the setup pr- principles and fundamentals, then we'll be then we'll be, we'll be off and running. And that acronym is GASP. I like I like to use the word acronym the acronym GASP G A A S P. And uh, the G stands for grip. The A stands for aim. The other A is alignment. The S stands for stance, and the P stands for posture. And we go from there, and we highlight in each of those areas, uh, are there any breakdowns? And if there's breakdowns in those areas, we're not going to start to swing the golf club, at least efficiently. And so that's where we would start. Oh, we man, start I, to peel I, back I, the onion, so to speak, and, and, and see uh, what their frustrations are beyond that, and then we see more deficiencies and more swing breakdowns, and, and, uh, and then we can, we, can, we can build a plan from there. But I like to start with that acronym. That's great stuff, Justin. Uh, Justin is a PGA professional and the city manager down at Golf Tech, and um, good hands down there. You know, Pearl, looking at this stuff, the basics are so often overlooked. The the little things that people can do. It's hard for me not to to you grin know why because I'm looking at you this way. You know, know why I'm looking I, at you I know, this way. I'm getting ready to say that this is my show. Stop talking for a minute. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I didn't do that. I was so caught up thinking that I needed to tackle the monumental tasks of, you know, hitting three woods over water. And uh, and those are the things that I really did well. And until I was able to understand the importance of the short game, of getting my playing out of the same place. Um, from just a physical standpoint every single day, which is really, really much harder than it seems. Um, I didn't realize, you know, how difficult, how I should say how important the little things are. Well, And difficult for you. No. The irony is you could stand up there and do things with a five-wood or a three-wood or a driver or the creative parts of it. And I think that allowed you to quote, stay away from thinking you didn't have to do the little things. And I think everybody deals with different stuff. Some some people could be more plugged into the little things, but could never do the special things. And as easy as the, the little things seem, they were never easy to you. They no. weren't interesting to you. They were tedious to you. They aggravated the daylights out of you. I got, boy, have I got so many stories on that part of it. I could go all day. One of the things I want to say, though, and and because we like this show to relate to the other sports, you know, you look at the Cardinals and the way they've done since, you know, the last three years we haven't made the playoffs. And I think if we're combined like six games out of the playoffs in the last three years, okay, and everybody talks about we need this in the middle of the lineup, we need that. You know what they need, Pearl? They need Closer attention to base running. They need to catch the ball. They need to throw the ball. And they need they, that's what they need. They need finer attention to detail. You look at the Blues resurgence. It's all about, they're talking about the fundamentals of positioning, getting your stick in the passing lanes, forechecking. Not all these, you know, oh, you have to hit the upper corner with that shot. You know, now they're scoring ugly goals. It's that way in every sport. And I just... 
I just wish I would have I would have had a better appreciation. It didn't take me so long to understand how important those small details were. But that's life stuff. Think about it raising is. kids. Think about your business, the, all the special things you can bring. But if you don't have the de- details behind it, those things all have to match up. We were having that conversation last night over dinner about, you know, at the end of the day, when you're leading, you're trying to accomplish something big. If you leave out one of those critical things, and we're making the car analogy, leave out one part of the best car in the world, that little fuel line or one of those tires, the car is not worth a darn to you. It's you not going to accomplish. You can have a $100,000 car, and it, can, it won't run if, if that $5 crucial part is not functioning yeah, I think or not the present. Same, it's the same with golf to get to that next level. It's the same with business and the same with the other sports you talked about. And I think that's that's an interesting part of life that, we either plug into uh, to get to that next level or not, or it's always going to come back and get us if that found if those foundational elements aren't in place. We talked about Jordan Spieth going from seventh on the PGA Tour in 2017 and putts from three feet to 183rd. How's that affecting the rest and of his want, life? And people, I know, I know, and people <laughs> want to know why he's you know didn't make the tour championship and all these other things. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a great point and. Um, we're going to continue that series with Justin. It's called The Basics, and um, where I set it up, folks, so that you can, it'll help you with your consistency, and it really will. Right on. You know, that's going to wrap up the On the Range segment uh, at Golf with Jay Delsing. We're going to take a short break, uh, but come back and listen to us on 101 ESPN. And, oh, don't forget, we've got a great interview coming up with Taylor Twoman. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. The firm was started in January 2015 by Mike Doster, Jess Olam, and John Boyle, three veterans of the St. Louis real estate, banking, commercial, and corporate legal landscape. The firm was founded on the shared view that success should be measured by client and community satisfaction, not profits for partner. The firm's focus is on business, real estate, corporate, finance and restructuring, and succession planning. Since its founding in 2015, Doster, Olam, and Boyle have been involved in real estate, business, and corporate transactions with a combined value in excess of over $1 billion. For decades, Doster, Olam, and Boyle lawyers have been recognized as leaders in their practice areas by their peers. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC. Extraordinary talent, ordinary people. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. I want to introduce you to Joe Sheezer at USA Mortgage. When I bought a new house a few years back, Joe provided me with a pre-approval letter that changed my buying experience. The real estate agents and the seller treated me as if I was a cash buyer. The sale went smoothly. I loved my new digs and wanted to thank Joe and his team for giving me the highest quality of service and attention possible. Joe has been a loan officer for 25 years. He is a top producer for USA Mortgage and a true expert in the field. USA Mortgage is employee-owned and locally operated, and all processing, underwriting, and closings take place right here in St. Louis. Call Joe at 314-628-2015, and Joe's NMLS number is 281113. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company is proud to be an official sponsor of 101 ESPN's newest show, Golf with our friend Jay Delsing. Just like Jay, Urban Chestnut is born right here in St. Louis. With three local brewing and restaurant locations, you won't travel far to sample straight from the source. If you're heading out to the links this weekend or if you're just in the mood for a classic German-style beer, grab a four-pack of our fresh, refreshing Zwickel Bavarian Lager wherever craft beers are sold. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, St. Louis, Missouri. Prost! You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. 
You can find Jay online at jdelsinggolf.com. Welcome back to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I've got John here with me. And this is a segment we like to call the front nine. Each week, we select an email. We appreciate these emails. Keep them coming, folks. The, the email we select will get a complimentary golf or two at Gateway National Golf Club. Compliments of Walter's Golf Management. This week's uh, email came from Rick Gibson. Rick says, I love the show. How long was the putt you made on the 18th green to win the, that Omaha Classic? Rick, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, the email. And it's always fun to, to put yourself back into that spot, especially when you had such a positive result. Uh, the putt, uh, it'd be much sexier to say the putt was 25 or 30 feet. It was probably about 12 or 14 feet long. It was a pretty straightforward putt. It moved a little to the to the right, and um, I just I, I can't express. I, we talked about this in an earlier show, but I can't express how excited I was to hit that putt. I remember stepping, being nervous, walking up to the 18th green at the uh, the Omaha Classic had a uh, just a huge group of probably 10, 15,000 people around that green, and I was trying to figure out how the heck this is going to work, and I got this calmness that came over me because I'd known I had prepared for this, and I was really excited to have the opportunity to, you know, have the the tournament hinge on my last my last stroke. I remember when you made the putt. It was on, it was on TV. It was a, so much fun to watch you make that putt. You played so well in that event. Kind of my question, though, how many years ago was that about? Probably about 15. So if that putt gets, like, Two inches longer every year. How so? It's what? What, is, what the heck so you, that what you're in? saying is probably a tap in and a negative like, fourteen well, footer. Well, it's about two and a half feet longer at this point <laughs> is the way I look at it. That's probably fair. So so it's pretty ten, and you said twelve. So yeah. we're right on on pace for that. So in cool. another ten years, cool. you know that thing will be like a chip in. Or when something. do you when do you add a tier? You know, like oh, man, I had to go up that tier. <laughs> is that what? It's, a couple more feet. Twenty. Okay. A couple more feet. 20, 20, 20 more. Twenty more years and a couple more feet. Okay, that's great. Ah, love having you on the show, Pearl. It's fantastic. Um, unfortunately, pretty true, though. I think it's pretty true what you're saying. It was a great putt, bottom line. And a, um, an opportunity to sit down with my nephew, uh, MLS star, uh, one of the best soccer players to ever uh, come out of St. Louis, much less the United States, um, Taylor Twoman. Um, Taylor, tell us a little bit about what it was like as a 19-year-old going to the EPL the Premier League, the best league in the world, and the German Bundesliga. Jay, it was interesting. You know, it, it's it, for the listeners, it's different. Soccer is very different uh, than any of our American sports slash American sports leagues because the sooner you get into a professional environment, the sooner you have a better chance of having a you know a, a bigger career as a professional, and it's it's kind of similar to a tennis player where 16, 17, 18, you need to be in a professional environment. But in 1998-99, that still wasn't the case. Americans weren't going to Europe. You know, the 98 World Cup, the United States finished dead last. And so Americans were viewed as the bottom of the barrel type of player. But when I got the opportunity in 1999 to go to Germany, Jay, you were there. Some of these discussions we all had with your dad, my grandfather, Chief, um, 
you know, what do you do? You know, do you, your dad, my grandfather, went to Major League Baseball at 16, and I remember him kind of reflecting on it with my parents saying, you know, if he wants to do this, you got to let him go. And, and that was a difficult decision. Ultimately, Jay, September 11, 2001, is the reason why I came back. And I tell this story to so many people because, it, you know, it's amazing to think there are people alive that were not alive for that. And, and it's now a story in, in kids' grade schools' textbooks. It's remarkable how quickly time flies. But September 11th, I showed up at training. Long story short, there were a couple of my teammates that under their breath in German or in their Eastern European language said we deserved it. And, it. and at the time, I didn't understand it. And I became very frustrated. Uh, I went to the club, and ultimately the only way I could get out of my contract was to come back uh, to Major League Soccer. And, and even my mom had to make the phone call to say, no, listen, he's out. That's, but it was an interesting experience for me because in my life, reflecting on it, I grew up immensely as an 18, 19, 20-year-old professional soccer player in German, in Germany because you're American, September 11th happened, and we just weren't viewed as being professional soccer players around the world, and I think that's where I grew up. A lot of us, Jay, you know this better than anyone. A lot of us, because you got kids that went through college, a lot of people would say, well, they grew up in college. Me? My life's a little different. I kind of grew up as a pro athlete trying to fight my way to make a first team all you know halfway across the world. But when I reflect on it, I wouldn't change it for the world. No, I mean, I can remember what a heady decision it was. And I mean, but as a competitive guy like you are, I mean, who doesn't want to play on the best stage? And I mean, it, it, you can't even argue the best stage is, is over in Europe. And, and Germany is a huge part of the EPL. And I mean, you know, it was exciting for all of us. And um, then you come back and you're the second overall pick for the New England Revolution. And, um, man, you had just such a great career in the MLS from 2002 to 2009, five-time All-Star. You were the league MVP in 2005, MLS Golden Boot recipient that year as well. Um, you played 174 goal games in that, that uh, league and scored 101 goals, which is incredible. And it, that awesome bicycle kick in 2007 against the Chicago Fire to put you guys in, into the um, MLS Cup. Yeah, it, to lose our fourth MLS Cup, Jay, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I was I was going to leave that to you. <laughs> but I mean, I'm surprised you didn't introduce me as the Jim Kelly of Major League Soccer. That would have been more fitting. Well, we could redo this again if you want to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And um, the collision in 2008 will never leave my mind. That you uh, you had a brutal collision with the LA Galaxy keeper Steve Cronin, and um, it was pretty much the slide for the for the the numerous concussions you had. I can remember you running. I don't know how you got up. I was sitting next to your dad. I'm like, oh my gosh, at least he got up, and and you're bleeding. I think from under your eye, and you look to Sharif Joseph and said, I got another concussion. And I, yeah. I, I never remember, never forget those words coming out of your lips. Your dad and I are sitting there, and we're like, "Oh man!" And um, but what a what a great career! And, and you know what's what's really cool, Taylor? Maybe this is a good segue into the Think Taylor portion. You have a phenomenal foundation, uh, bringing concussion and just head injury awareness in general uh, to this country and to to use all over. Talk a little bit about Think Taylor. 
Yeah, it's weird, Jay. Um, you know, you you can go through your career um, as an athlete, and whether you're a very good amateur athlete and end up becoming a pro, or whether you're not, and you, your career ends at a certain stage, whether it's high school or or college. You, any athlete, and I know you know this better than anyone. You think um, your greatest accomplishment, your greatest. Uh, I think recognition is always going to be on the field. And ironically, for me, it's not. And I thought I would always be remembered for whether it was the goals I scored or the trophies you win or the moment you had with the national team, whatever that may be. And it's not. In a weird way, um, August 2008 was the greatest gift ever given to me. And it because that concussion at that time of American sports and professional sports in general, there was no education, there was no awareness. Uh, we were still doing barbaric tactics, uh, techniques, excuse me, to bring athletes back on the field. And even though we're sitting here in 2019, there's still some of those things that resonate with people, but at least the education awareness is there. I, I've struggled to this day uh, with post-concussion syndrome. But I felt the only way to actually maximize, as crazy as that sounds, the injury and the circumstance was actually to help others. And I don't say this um, in a way that's you know, putting myself on a pedestal, but the reality is this. is the Major League Soccer MVP in Boston, Massachusetts, which is arguably the medical capital of the United States of America, cannot get proper treatment and cannot get the proper recognition, well, then you tell me what the millions of kids are going to do in our country, Jay. No matter what the sport is, gymnastics, uh, horseback riding, cheerleading for girls, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, field hockey, no matter what it is, if I can't get it, well, then what are they going to do? So I basically have said, you know what, I'm going to start a foundation. It's simply education and awareness. And in 2018, we had almost 5 million kids take the Think Taylor Pledge. And the pledge is basically telling kids to take ownership of their brains and to tell parents to get the heck out of the way. And if any parent is not educated, that's on you, because it's 2019. You can't blame the doctors, the coaches, anyone else. It's on you. So if your kids aren't educated, then that's on you, and it, it, it's really resonated as opposed to going the other way, Jane, saying CTE, Junior Seau was a real good friend of mine, and obviously it, it went the wrong way for him. And for the listeners at home, if you haven't seen his story, 30 for 30 on ESPN+, Plus, it's an unbelievable story. But, Jay, I don't want to do that because it doesn't also mean that anyone gets a concussion. You're also going to kill yourself and commit suicide. That's, that's not how this works. So I've gone about it a different way, and I think it's resonating with some people. And, Taylor, how can our listeners um, get involved and stay in touch with the, the Think Taylor organization? The first, it's a great question, Jay. First and foremost, ask questions of your, of your kids. Ask questions of your kids' organizations. Doesn't matter the sport. Doesn't matter the activity. Actually, ask the schools. Make sure there's a concussion protocol. Make sure everyone is well-versed on that. But most importantly, don't be scared to say you're not educated, you don't understand. There's well, well-versed well um, medical papers out there. ThinkTaylor.org, you can come to us. We'll redirect you. Um, but the CDC does a wonderful job. But just, just become educated and help spread the word that we need to take ownership of our brains. Because the one thing is, Jay, and you're an athlete and you've had surgeries and everything, we only get one brain. 
Now, mine may be a little bit smaller than others, but besides the point, you only get one. And so that's the one thing you can't have surgery on. If it's an ankle, knee, back, shoulder, elbow, I don't care. That you can play with. You get one brain, we need to make sure our kids have the best opportunity where their brains uh, can grow. When they were passing out brains, I thought they said train, and I got on one. I don't think I got one. <laughs> No, that's really great stuff, Taylor. And I, I, I got to make a transition to your ESPN career, lead soccer analyst there. They're hosting the MLS Rewind and just doing a great uh, job. And it's so cool how all this ties in to the foundation. And, and now we're going to get to talk a little bit about golf. And um, what the listeners may not realize is what a great golfer you are. You're probably a scratch right now. Are, are you a plus handicap at this time? I know you. Oh, uh, Jake, you know those handicaps. It's a it's a plus point two, but what does that really mean? I'm still you're still giving me seven strokes, buddy, <laughs> if not eight. So what does it matter? Right, and we're family. We don't pay off anyway. So the <laughs> we play a million dollars a hole, and it ends up being an IBC root beer. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, uh, so, Taylor, tell me a little bit about why you love the game. I mean, one of the things that I think is so cool and I think our listeners will be interested in is um, um, golf seems to be the go-to sport for everybody, all these great athletes when they um, retire. I was visiting with Brett Hall a little while back, and uh, he just said he, he couldn't wait to start playing golf, and he couldn't wait till his hockey career ended. He just loved the game so much it gave him something to focus on. And uh, how does that um, does that kind of replace any of your competitive juices? Absolutely, absolutely, Jay. It's a great it's a great question. First off, my love of golf came from you. Um, I, I don't think many people understand that when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and you're growing up, and you're literally opening. And any one of my family members would tell you tell you this, Jay, and you know this story. I read the newspaper, the sports page at age, age six. Big reason why my mom and dad wanted to know what Jay Delsing shot in the tournament. So I found my way learning golf through that. Now, I, my also big love was baseball. So at a younger age. Baseball was such a huge part of my life that golf kind of fell to the side. So that's where my love started. And then it went away, Jay. I honestly didn't play golf from age 14, my freshman year of high school, all the way till I came back from Germany. And so there was a solid eight to nine years where I maybe played ten rounds. So golf went away. It came back when I came back to the States, but I think what you talk about is is interesting. Brett Hall's of the world, and first off, how many hockey players are good at golf? That's the hand-eye coordination. We can go into that. That's completely different. But, Jay, for me, and I think for a lot of pro athletes that I now play with, a lot of it is, Jay, we played in team sports. You didn't. And I think secretly, a lot of us would have liked to just play in a sport where, you know what, control what you can control. On the other hand, my respect for golfers and the sport of golf is I don't think golfers get enough credit because I could score two goals, Jay, and miss five breakaways, and yet at the end of the day, if we won 2-1, I was a hero. If you miss two seven, eight-foot putts for par or for birdie, that changes. You're not looking at anyone but yourself. And I also don't think qualifying for the PGA Tour in Q School gets enough credit. That is arguably, in my opinion, the most difficult thing in professional sports in our country. And so when I looked at golf, for me, it was about perseverance. It was about individual controlling what I can control. 
And ultimately now, Jay, it's the only thing athletically that I can do because of my post-concussion condition. And, I, you know, you and I come from the same family. We like to gamble a little bit and have some fun. But so many pro athletes that come from team sports love the individual part of golf because their entire career and professional career, they never got that opportunity. And I think they're addicted to that juice, for lack of a better word, because now they get to do that. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Taylor. And one of the things that that I always looked at, you know, baseball was my first love, too. I used to read the box scores. You and I grew up so similarly. And um, um, But one of the things that I missed from the team sport component was, man, it would have been nice to have that 76, but still look at that day as it was a win. You know, you have Absolutely. that day, but, you know, you, you you put your clubs in the car and go, man, if I don't shoot 65, I'm not even going to be around for the weekend or some, or or maybe I just blew an opportunity to win the tournament. Jay, it's ruthless. It's ruthless, Jay. Like, I don't think people fully understand golf. And the reason why, too, and this is no disrespect to the amateur golfer and to those of you listening, but everyone at any age of any shape and size, Jay, they can go play golf. They think they can. You can't go play offensive lineman if you're 5'10", 170. <laughs> you can't, you know what I mean? Athletically, you, are, you have to fit into certain categories to play other sports. If I'm, I, I, try, I thought I was going to be the next Jalen Rose, and then I played next to Larry Hughes, my sophomore high school, and I was like, eh, you know what, I should probably hang up my basketball shoes. My point is, listeners at home, you all watch golf, and you're like, oh, yeah, whether you're 300 pounds or you're 150 pounds, you can all grab a golf club and you think you can do it. But to do it at the level of where you were and where those guys are, there are a million golfers that are plus point twos like myself. The ones that play on Sunday on the PJ Tour, Jay, I, I just don't think it gets enough credit. And I think if you ask Brett Hall and you ask all these guys that play golf, that played at the highest level of their respective sports, they are sitting there going, wait a minute, this is no joke. And that's why I always chuckle at the Tony Romas of the world. I'm like, listen, Tony, you're a good amateur golfer. Absolutely. But don't, that'd be like Jay Delsing saying, no, I can go play quarterback for the Cowboys. It ain't happening. You know, Taylor, so, there is an insulting component to that when you think of it in those, those terms. I remember playing, uh, and Jerry Rice got um, a sponsor exemption into a, a Web.com event out in San Francisco, and I was uh, friends with Chiquita folks that were sponsoring the event, and we met Jerry and everything, and he shows up the first day, 89, 8-9. Yeah. Almost double snowman. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It, by, by the way, Jerry, those five foot putts that you get on the weekends, you got the ball needs to hit the bottom of the cup. Like, and, and, but Jay, there's an addicting part of golf for all of us that play team sports. And, and it's, I love it because I've met so many people that I would have never met because they would have said, oh, he's just a soccer guy, if that makes any sense. But I'm not. I never have been. You know that. Of course. And yet, Golf has brought me into a world where now you meet people, you meet different walks of life. Honestly, it's made my life a little bit more enjoyable because of that. Not because I get to play golf and play these amazing places, but I like meeting different people. I like having conversations, and especially athletes from other sports. But we're all addicted to that little piece of it where if I play well, I win. Jay, there were many games I scored two goals, we lost 3-2. And, and that's that catch, you know, that... 
chicken and egg type of discussion because you, on the other hand, would shoot 71, make the cut, and you're sitting there going, well, if, there any, if that ball hit the tree and stayed in the fairway or my teammate would have done this, it is weird, Jay, because I feel for the golfer where you guys don't have the camaraderie, the banter, uh, the slow moments where you're maybe struggling or they're struggling and you can help each other. It's all on you, your caddy, and playing that golf course. That's where golf is extremely unique. That's going to wrap up the front nine. We're going to take a quick pause and listen to from some of the folks that are sponsoring our show. Uh, but come back and listen to the rest of the interview with Taylor Twoman on 101 ESPN and golf with Jay Delsing. Are you looking for a golf training facility and PGA pros to help you out year-round? Make sure you get to Golf Tech. They've been in St. Louis since 2007 and have three convenient locations to serve you. They've got state-of-the-art video equipment, and you can take your lesson home with you and replay it as much as you'd like. Start with a golf swing evaluation for only $125 and let a Golf Tech coach customize a game plan for you. 314-721-GOLF. You can find them online as well, golftech.com-stlouis. Play better. Swing better. Golf tech. I got a big shout out and a thank you to Whitmore Country Club for supporting my golf show. I don't know if you know, Whitmore Country Club has 72 holes of golf. There's a 24-hour fitness center and has a extremely large pool complex. This is a family-friendly country club to belong to. There's a kids club in the main clubhouse right near the fitness center. There are golf leagues, skinned game Members, tournaments, couples events are available all year long. If you join at Whitmore, you also get access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. And the cart fees are already included in that membership. There are no food or beverage minimums, no assessments. Go out and see my friend Bummer out in the clubhouse. He is an absolute jewel and a wonderful guy that will tell you all you need to know. Or you can call Whitmore at 636-926-9622. After 25 years on the PGA Tour, Jay Delsing takes you behind the scenes from the eyes of a pro. Now back to more golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I've got my favorite caddy, John, with me. And join us as we head to the back nine. We've got this great interview. We're going to wrap up this interview with Taylor Twillman, so let's get back to that interview. You know, Taylor, we have a great golf community. The PGA Tour has a great golf community. The difference is it's not team-oriented. It's not even in the same city. You know, we're all, yeah. we're spread out. My buddies, you know, Olin Brown lives in Jupiter, and Mark Wiebe lives in San, uh, San Jose and, and, and X, Y, and Z. And when when I hang around with some ex-Blues players, and they've been so kind to me, they've taken me into their, their community a bit and just been so kind to me, but I really look and admire the relationship that exists there with the with the former players even if they didn't even play they may live here now they might not have ever played for the blues they just love st louis as a city there's definitely that component that's that's missing in golf oh no doubt about it jay you don't have any home games and listen some of some of your colleagues they have home games if they're on the west coast swing i get all that but that's not really a home game jay that, that's a, a home game is where we play 34 games a year, 17 of them. I'm sleeping in my own bed the night before the game, and I'm going to that game, and I know everyone in that state, well, I think everyone, uh, is rooting for me to succeed. That's a home game. Right. 
And then if you play your entire career in one place, like, an, you know, look at Ozzie Smith, right? Or a, look at Brett Hall and what he did. I know he didn't, he moved on and played a couple other places, but he loved St. Louis. I played in only one place in the United States, in Boston. That's why I'm still here. Jake Golf doesn't have that. And I do think it misses. I also think that's why the Ryder Cup is so addicting because you get that little taste of it. And you know this better than I do. I think all of you guys love that because it gives you that little taste of that where you never get it. Well, I I would love to be able to root for you every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I know, right? You know, there's something about, you know, you can't actually root against another guy on tour because you've been in that situation, you've been in his shoes, but you sure don't have to love the fact that, you know, he's going to knock that birdie putt in and let you finish second. There's no way. No, Jay, thank you. And and, and by the way, can we I appreciate you actually telling the truth. You know, we do these politically correct and what's the protocol and what's the underlying rules and blah, blah, blah. Let's just be honest. So reality is this. You're, in, you're tied for first. You, the guy you're, you're playing partner has got a 15-foot birdie putt. You really want him to make it? Stop it. Stop it. it, it's, it we all get it. It's human nature. It's comp- competition. And that's why I think, Jay, Tiger, in a nutshell, has really he he resonates to all sports fans because he was so ruthless at his peak. He knew you knew Tiger didn't really want anyone else to win but him. Oh, Taylor, that's, he wanted to that's beat competition exactly. And and what was so refreshing about what Tiger did, not only was he going to destroy you, he wanted everyone to know he was really going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think the basketball, football, hockey, soccer fan. That actually resonated with him. You know, and, and yes, he, he brought a different uh, different sports fan to golf. I think a big part of that was that. You know, we, we all want to watch greatness, but we all kind of appreciate someone that's ruthless and then turns into a villain and blah, 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 blah. But I, I just appreciate actually telling the truth because I love when the golfers will say, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's tough. He had a tough – get out of here. You're happy. You just, you just finished a place hiring him. There's no question. I can remember standing around the 18th green. I was tied for the lead with Jim Gallagher down in Memphis, and he makes a 25-foot 20, putt for par on 18 to, to beat me by a stroke. And I can remember Mackenzie looking at me and go, Dad, why did Mary Langdon's dad do that? And Mary Langdon was Jim Gallagher's little daughter, <laughs> you know, that they used to play around with. And I'm like, I want to kill everybody right now. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk exactly. about it. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, so um but I was uh on that uh, on that topic though, Jay. I was a little old school. You know, the athlete now covering sports over the last 8 years at ESPN, it's different. Social media has changed it. I never went out uh after a game on the road. I never went out with friends or colleagues on the other team. I just didn't. Yeah. Um now it's it's a practice, you know, NBA games, you're going out to dinner. You know, Chris Paul and LeBron James are playing in a meaningful game and they're at dinner the night before. I, it it just it doesn't resonate with me. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um, but at 38 years of age, I still have this old school thing. I, I, I wanted to beat you, and I wasn't going to hang out if you beat me. No, and I, and if you, I beat you, I wasn't going to hang out with you. I just, that's a real tough one for me, and I do think that's part of golf where 
Although this younger generation, look at the Ricky Fowlers and Justin Thomases and, and Smiley Kaufmans and all these guys, they're all hanging out. They're all on Instagram. It's just a different time, Jay, than when you were playing. And quite honestly, I, even when I was playing. Taylor, I got to tell you, we've got some incredible, not only golfers, but human beings that are playing on this tour that are, that are ex- extremely significant. Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. Um, oh gosh, I'm missing Ricky Fowler. These guys actually really like each other, and, and yeah. uh, they really and truly like each other. They've grown up together. I don't know. Maybe it's a social media bond that makes this thing different. But it's just different. And I'm the same way with you. I wasn't going to go out and have dinner with um, if if I'm playing a team sport. I'm not going to go out and have dinner with the, the best player on the other team be, before the the game the night before. It's just not happening. No, it's not. Uh, but times have changed. I do think golf is a little different, Jay, and you know this because you've helped so many young golfers. You know, the youth golf circuit, they're all hanging out. They're all starting at a young age. They're all making – they've known each other for eight, nine years by the time they get on the PGA Tour. So that is part of it, and I get that. But it's just a different climate. I just I, – I think golf is has a real opportunity here because I do think there's 15 to 20 – legitimate top golfers that every single week they play they have a legit chance of winning and I think if there's a little bit more uh, you know not ruthlessness but a little bit more competition in real competition not fake I don't know Jay I think it may resonate across all sports a little bit more it's it's a tough message Taylor because we were sent a message that this is gentlemanly this is and it's yeah. beat into my head since we started, and 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 it's a, it was always one of those mixed messages. It wasn't nearly as hard as trying to figure out Catholicism, but it was really. We don't have enough time to figure oh, out that. Yeah, thank goodness. But it, it, no, it was, but Jay, to your point though, honestly, think about this. If I was offside and scored a goal and the referee missed it, did I raise my hand and say I was offside? Absolutely not. No. If if Le- LeBron James is fouled. And the ref doesn't call it. Is he coming over there? Or he does call it and wasn't fouled. Do you follow where I'm going? Like, golf is so unique. You are your own referee. You are your own. It is an ethics sport. And and you and I well know better than anyone. There's rules violations all the freaking time. But that's on you. That's on you. So it's... It's honestly the most unique sport we have in the world because of that. Taylor, the first time that I... I wasn't even sure if I broke a rule. I didn't sleep that night. I didn't sleep that night. I was thinking, man, I've got to tell somebody. You know, so I went and told an official, and they said, nope, you're fine. You know, this, this, that, the other thing. And I learned the rules, you know, kind of that way. So it's kind of neat that the USGA is making an effort to change the rules of golf a little bit there. I'm not exactly sure about putting with the flag stick in and and dropping from your knee height. I mean, it, there's always a question about whether we golfers are true athletes. And when you watch Bryson DeChambeau try to drop last week in, uh, or a while back in at the Century Tournament over in Kapalua, he just didn't look right doing it. No, I, I get it. But, Jay, I do think I, you bring up an interesting question that I have this argument with all the golfing people in our country that – up until age, up until the PGA Tour, golf needs to be simplified. Because I think you're, I think you're, these rules and everything, like you and I both know, no amateur golfers carrying the book around with them. No golfer knows every rule. You got to, and that's part of what a caddy does, right? So my point is, is this: is that if we're going to grow golf, 
and you're going to grow participation, the, go, the, the rules got to be simplified. And I may be wrong on it, but I just think if you simplify the game for the youth up until high school at least at the minimum, I think it should be up to college, then I think you're going to get more of these athletes, you know, the Gary Woodlands, the Dustin Johnsons, the guys that may be able to play other sports. They may go to golf. Brooks Kepka, who's a great example, great, you know, a, a decent baseball player. I think you may get more of those. And I think golf has an interesting dilemma on that. Yeah, and Taylor, that's happening, in my opinion. It's happening right now. And you're seeing this power game on the PGA Tour, and you're going to see – I really believe you're going to see people's um, uh, prime ages shifting to much younger because the power is so important. But, um, boy, that the, the revolution, and it's all got Tiger's fingerprints all over it, the power revolution on the tour is just an awesome thing to witness. And uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I don't know if you've got to see this uh, young man, Cameron Champ, swinging. And hit the ball, but Jay, he had a four iron two sixty one. Jay, but he averaged three hundred. <laughs> he averaged three hundred and forty three yards on the web dot com last year. What? Yeah, I'm, Jay, I'm out. I'm out. Come on, <laughs> but, man. But on to the Jay. Similar, but watch the Ryder Cup. I do wish the, the the PJ and everyone would grow the rough up and bring, you know, one of the strong suits of your game throughout your entire career. And I remember. You're, you know, Chief talking about it, my mom, everyone talking about it, and then when I started to play with you more, you were very strong off the tee for your generation, but, Jay, your generation wasn't playing on these uh, on these courses where the rough. Jay, it, the, the PGA doesn't penalize the guys for missing the fairway. No question. They don't, in my opinion. I could be wrong. No, you're right. But there's got to be a premium to hitting the ball in the fairway. There's got to be. We, we are in an era right now, Taylor, where, where, you know, the old Nike adage, chicks dig the long ball. What we're trying to do is all we want to do is is, is display this power and, and look at people make birdies. And so there's not they're not growing the rough up. They don't want these guys to be out there, you know, missing fairways and making bogeys. And the guys are so strong, you grow, you know, four-inch rough used to be pretty tough to play out of. It's nothing anymore for these guys. No, I do think if they did, I think it it makes golf a little bit. Uh, I just think it makes. I don't know. I could be wrong, and I'm a little bit of a purist on that. But I, I do think you, if you reward the players that hit the fairway and have the distance, then I think I, I don't know. I think it may may for a better watch. But then all my bosses at ESPN would probably punch me in the face and be like, uh-uh, we need, we need 20 unders and we need 400-yard drives. And then I'd be like, all right, fine, you're right. I'm wrong. That, that's what they want. Well, um, this is fun, buddy. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Taylor, what would you say your favorite sports, it doesn't have to be golf, but your favorite sports or golf memory would be? What could you share with us? Um, I think my favorite golf mem- memory was being Taylor Delsing at Disney father-son golf tournament um for the listeners at home i think i was seven maybe eight uh we went to disney world and there was one jay delsing who didn't have a son to play in father's son but he did have a nephew that had the name of taylor delsing and i think i might have four putted the first hole i was that nervous i to this day i tell that story because it i, I remember it as if it was yesterday even though i was only seven eight it, that and then watching the video a couple years back, that was fun. I mean, that was a um, 
that was a real moment for me. That, that was fantastic. Tell us what gets you out of bed uh, these days. What really fires you up? You can tell that you live life with such passion. You have it. You hear it in your voice. What do you? What gets you fired up? I know you had a, a wonderful addition to uh, you and Chelsea's family not long ago. I'm sure she's part of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a father now, Jay, so that's obviously changed it. I, I think knowing that... Um, you know, my concussion in the prime of my career with the opportunity to go to England and make millions of dollars and having that taken away from you, it brings perspective. And I still reflect on it and say it was great for me because, Jay, honestly, I live in every moment and I live in that moment. I don't really reflect on the past and I used to a ton before the injury. I don't look to the future. I used to. I just live in the moment. So every day I wake up, whether it's going to play around the golf, whether it's taking a flight at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm all right. I'm okay because I do have my health. I've got my family. And I don't know. I'm pretty simple on that stuff. But I will say when you wake up every day now as a father, it's a completely different ballgame than when you're waking up as a single guy. Uh, amen, and congratulations on Little Rose, too. That's great. I just have one more question, Taylor. You know, so so many times you're interviewed, and, and um, there's people wanting to talk about the goals you scored, the, the, the this is that you've done, the that you've done. But I wanted to ask you, what would you consider would be your greatest comeback? What was the hardest thing for you to deal with? And it can be in personal life. It can be in your your sport. But I think it's really important to, for folks to know that there are a lot of things that happen to athletes off the field, on the field, whatever it may be, that they don't know about and that were personal struggles. And it's really great. I think my greatest comeback is that I'm living it, Jay. Um, I, I think the last 10 years, um, it's been easily the most difficult time for me health-wise just because of the post-concussion syndrome. But the progress I've made um, – the understanding I have of the injury and the ability to tell that story to others, that I, I'm currently in that comeback. Now, as a player, and, and this may choke you up, but the reality is this, is, and you brought it up at the beginning of the interview, I didn't make the World Cup team as the MLS MVP. It's the first time ever. Um, and yet my grandfather, Jay, your father, passed away 48 hours later. And he, that, in a nutshell for me, indirectly made me realize I did everything I can. I do remember when Chief found out that I didn't make the World Cup team. Obviously, we are a family show, so I can't tell you exactly what he said, but it still goes down as one of the best quotes of his life. But seeing my mom, seeing you, seeing the family, seeing everyone understand what a pillar he was to the family, and immediately having to play a game, and knowing that if I play in that game – all the Delsings that will be in St. Louis celebrating Jim Delsing's life, that, that's an out-of-body experience. And none of the listeners at home, I'm not putting myself on the Michael Jordan flu game or Michael Jordan's bad guys. It's none, none of that. But for me, in my life, I actually realized for the first time I was playing that game for nobody, nobody other than my family, and not even for myself. And you want to talk about energy and the universe all coming together, less than a minute into the game, the ball bounces my way and I score a goal. I remember. It just, there's just something, Jay, about that game that I tell people when they ask that. Um, there are moments in all of us, whether you talk to Brett Hall, like you said, or any other athletes, 
there are a few moments in career in your career where you remember a game as if it was yesterday, but you also remember games where it was like an out of body experience. And I think of that game as actually sitting in the stands. I don't remember anything, anything about that day, that week, that game, other than when I scored, there was an energy as if I was flying over the stadium and I knew my entire family in St. Louis was watching. I got to tell you, dude, that was that was one of those where you're like, whoa. And then after the game, you're interviewed, and it's on ESPN primetime, Jay. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, and, and yet what did they talk about the entire game? The World Cup and my grandfather passing away. They didn't talk about anything about me or the game or anything like that. Uh, it was a interesting uh, experience for me, but one I think that I'll always cherish because the universe gave me an opportunity for my se- family to celebrate a guy all because I scored a goal 90 seconds into a game. Man, I can remember that, Taylor. I can remember that week. I'll never forget it. And, uh, man, I just really want to thank you, bud, for this time. Uh, I, uh, I could talk to you forever. I love sitting reminiscing about these stories. I love getting your points of view and, and, and letting you share a little bit of your insight uh, with our listeners. Uh, man, thanks so much. It's an awesome show, Jay. I love the show, and I think uh, the listeners are going to appreciate hearing other people talk about the game of golf. So keep it going, brother. Well, that'll do it for the back nine in our interview with Taylor Twillman. Don't go anywhere because Pearlie and I are headed to the 19th hole on 101 ESPN and Golf with Jay Delsing. Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing. They've been around since 1973, and it's been family-owned and operated the entire way. Father Danny Capps started it all. Now sons Matt and Jared are fully involved. And at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, they host the area's largest selection of Lazy Boy and Flex Steel Furniture. Plus, you'll find a full-service Mohawk Color Center featuring carpet, hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. Everything is professionally installed at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, plus easy to Delivery and setup of new furniture, however and wherever you want it. They'll also haul away all of your old furniture. Can't beat that deal. Going the extra mile, that's what Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery is all about. Find them online, jerseyvillecarpetfurniture.net, or call them 618-639-9858. Most people think to get fit, you've got to be in the gym five days a week. Well, I used to think that too, but that was before I discovered 20 Minutes to Fitness. 20 Minutes to Fitness makes it possible to achieve in one 20-minute session a week what might require three hours or more a week at the gym. It reduces the time it takes to exercise by up to 90%. Their trainers can get you in shape no matter what your age or fitness level. They do it using special equipment and safe, medically-based approach. And all it takes is 20 minutes once a week. Honestly, 20 minutes once a week. Sound too good to be true? Your first session is free, so try it and see for yourself. They've got locations in Clayton and Chesterfield. To learn more, visit 20MinutesToFitness.com. 20 Minutes to Fitness. It's just 20 minutes just once a week, and it works for me. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can get involved in the show by emailing your questions and comments to jay at jdelsinggolf.com. Well, thanks for staying for with us. We've just finished 18th hole, and now we're headed to our favorite part of the day, the 19th hole. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm here with my buddy, John Perlis. Wow. I love that uh, interview with Taylor. I, I just thought it was fantastic. 
He doesn't lack uh, candor. No, he doesn't. Well, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a guy that's absolutely been on the top of the heap in his sport. I uh, mentioned earlier uh, the Wheaties box commercial. That means you're on the top of the heap. You don't get on there. And then there's a guy, too, that obviously his career got uh, cut short, but then he transitions and is doing a fantastic job uh, as an announcer with uh, ESPN. Yeah, he's he's just doing so well. I mean, let's, let's just take this one one item at a time. I mean, 19 years old, we've traveled extensively. Go to Germany. Don't speak the language. Don't know where you're going. Driving on the other side of the highway. Foreign currency. What? It's, ama- it's amazing. I, you know, you and I were joking about it last night when we are talking about, you know, what were we doing when we were 19 years old? You know, yeah. we, we struggled going to uh, a city, you know, 100 miles down the road. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I struggle getting 14 clubs in my bag. You know, is there, did we have all everything together? Did I pack both shoes for the trip? You know, just the, the dumb things that we were doing at 19. And probably why he handles himself the way he does today. Uh, he took those challenges on early. I'm sure there were some challenges and missteps and oh my goshes and how am I going to handle this along the way? But he obviously did it, and uh, confidence grew across the board. Plus, he produced. He produced on the field. Uh, the other thing that's amazing is, you know, this isn't like the Boy Scouts, you know, where he's hanging around with a bunch of other 19-year-olds. They're grown men that are trying to, you know, establish themselves in a career. And you know how cutthroat and, and competitive a world that is. And um, the other thing that's really, you know, the EPL, European Premier League, is the top stage for soccer. All the best players in the world play over there. So really cool stuff. And um, then to come back here. And be the second overall pick in the MLS, and, and have just a great career. Well, what are be... some What are some nineteen year olds? And what you know, we've talked a little bit on the show. What are some nineteen year olds in, in golf that are, you know, there's a couple guys isn't there coming out of uh, high school and going to go pro? Um, uh, who am I thinking? Kevin Na uh, was was one of those, and uh, he came out years later and said, you know, it was a mistake for him. It's different. You know, golf's different because there's a there's a seasoning process that doesn't necessarily, especially in my generation, that didn't necessarily revolve around your physical body. You're playing in soccer; it's much more, you know, physically oriented, and your physical prime is much closer to 19 and more important in soccer than it is in golf. I should I should where I'm where I'm going with this thing, but the the parts about playing the PGA Tour that that I look at as a 19-year-old that would have just overwhelmed me is the travel. And the fact that you got to remember, team concept versus playing, you know, being an independent contractor like we are on tour. Back when I was playing, I rented my own car. I stayed in my own. We didn't have lists like we do now where tournaments are organized and they're sending us. Here's, here's a list of the local hotels that are within... Ten miles, bro. I can remember going to Washington D.C. Couldn't wait to play Congressional, one of the true top courses in our country, even the world. The Kemper Open, and learning geographically that Virginia, Washington D.C., um, Maryland, are all you know. You could you could take three wrong turns and go to four different states <laughs> over there, and I think I did that. And and we didn't have. Remember, we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't go. Oh man, this hotel's fourteen miles from Congressional. That's not going to be that big deal. I got my hotel there, and I was 
like 55 minutes away. Yeah. And that, that lasted one night. I'm like, I can't do this again. You know, I'm going to move hotels. And that was that was pretty ordinary for some of the craziness that, that you learned as a rookie on tour. Yeah, compared to the team, teams got a coach, managers, all that kind of stuff laid out. You're traveling with other people that are generally rooting for you. How many guys were rooting for you when you first got on tour? How many of the, uh, the old guys, when you first stepped out there, were going, hey, Jay, we hope you just do great this today, this week, and just have a great year and a great career? Yeah, I didn't hear that. But you told me some funny, some funny stories that you'd go in the locker room and, you know, be moaning or whatever, shot a 74 and try to, you know, get somebody to kind of plug in with you and say, and, and you always kind of walked away thinking, I think they wish I would have shot 78 instead of shot a 74. Steve Payton and I, our college teammate, walked into the locker room bar sort of area down in Greensboro and won't mention his name, Lanny Watkins. And Peter and I order a beer, and we're talking. You know, Peter is as animated as they come, and I'm not short of animation as well. And we're both talking about the double bogeys we made and everything. And, and we get about two or three minutes into our lament, and Lanny looks over at us and goes, Hey, you two rookies? We weren't talking to you. Why are you talking to us? We both just kind of nod, and he goes, Make sure you get one thing straight. Half the guys out here don't care. The other half wish it was twice as bad. Just go home. And we're like, I said to Peter, I go, he can't actually kick us out of the bar, can he? <laughs> or off the tour. <laughs> Did he do that too? <laughs> well, you know, you said, you know, I won't mention his name. Lenny would be proud of that. Oh, he's no, got, there's no he's question got no about problem it. at all. Yeah, I don't have it. Yep. That, that, there was just. Um, the intimidation factor across the board. And then the same thing. So there's Taylor overseas at 19. You know darn well, maybe a couple of guys on his team, you'd like to think not, but certainly the other teams trying to intimidate the young American that comes over, because not only is he young, but there wasn't a lot of Americans going over there in that league in general. No. So, you know, he's having that same kind of people trying to figure out and test him inside and out. He's American, he's 19, etc. Uh, you know, I'm sure he, another time you can interview him and talk about some of those things, I'm sure there's a ton of those little scuffles he had to do to prove himself. Oh, and I mean, it's so important to stand your stand your ground and, and do that sort of thing. Um, what I also wanted to talk about just briefly was I loved his comments about his, the team sports versus the individual sport and how he believes so many of these other athletes are, are you know, moving into golf at the end of their career because they love the fact that they can compete and they love the fact that they don't have to rely, you know, oh, did – did, did the guy next to me do his did the prep? Is he ready to go? Is he dealing with some struggles personally or, you know, what have you? And he loves that this thing just sits on on his plate and his plate alone. And it's the right time for him. They've got the money. They've they've got the savvy. They've kind of uh, have the accomplishment in their life to where they can kind of go out and do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a very interesting perspective, one that I hadn't given much thought of. And um we're going to do that throughout the year, getting some other athletes in and talk. We had a great interview with Brett Hall and how much he loved the game. And now we got Taylor. Um, we've got some other neat folks that we're going to get uh, get on the show. But, um, you know, that's going to do it for this version of Golf with Jay Delsing in the 19th hole. John and I have really enjoyed spending our morning with you, and thanks for listening. Um, we want to hear from you, so write us at J at J Delsing Golf. That's J A Y at J A Y D E L S I N G G O L F dot com. Uh, Big Sis, Brad Barnes, thanks for getting us through another show. 
relatively unscathed, I think, Pearly, and um, they say spring is right around the corner, so we certainly hope so. Hit them straight, St. Louis. That was Golf with Jay Delsing, brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Tune in next Sunday from 7 to 8 for more from Jay, John, and the other pros and experts from the golf world. In the meantime, you can find all of Jay's shows at 101ESPN.com as well as at jdelsinggolf.com.